joyful we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above, melts the clouds of Thank you for joining us for this program from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to use the passage that Danny read for us just a few moments ago as we get into our lesson. Uh, but first, I want to ask some of you, to dig way back into the memory, way back into the memory bank, not as far back as you might think, because I remember it. So for some of you, that's really not too far removed. Uh, as, as some of you know, and, and sometimes I mention this, people still ask, even though we've been here for a while, I've never, uh, I, I guess I haven't always just talked a lot about it, but uh, I, I was born in Florence. It's really kind of Blair and I have, have moved to different places as we've been married, and when we got married, um, we, moved, we lived in McMinnville, which is her hometown, uh, and that's where we had Collins, so we had our first child in Blair's hometown, and then uh, I was born and lived in Florence till I was 10, and that's where we had our fourth child in Florence uh, in my hometown. If you had told me when we got married that we would have four kids, and the first one would be born in her hometown and the last one in my hometown, I would have stopped you at you're going to have four kids, and uh, much less the, the connections to where we grew up and different things. Uh, but I lived in Florence till I was 10 years old, and then we moved to Savannah. But uh, growing up in Florence, uh, there was something that was there in its grandest of ways that is not grand anymore. You know what that is? The mall. The mall. One of the saddest things to me in life is that the Orange Julius is not in the Florence Mall anymore. And for a little while, some of the Dairy Queens carried Orange Julius, and even that's gone away, and that just really, really breaks my heart. Um, like I said, it's not that far back, but it's far enough back that there's a generation that probably, when I say Orange Julius, you're like, what is that? Uh, and like, you don't even know that it exists anymore. But there was a time uh, we, were, we were shopping, my, me and my mom and my dad and my brother. And I don't, rem I don't remember this myself. I just remember the stories. But um, we, were, we were in the mall and me, and apparently the story goes, me and my brother and my mom were in one of the stores and my dad was walking around. For those of you who were younger, um, there was a time that the mall in Florence had stores in it other than like the four that are there. Um, they used to sell more than candles and kids' clothes, okay? Like, there used to be all kinds of stuff in that place. And so my dad was somewhere else in the mall, and we were with mom. And all of a sudden, mom looked up, and my brother was gone, okay? And so I'm eight, about eight, mom has said, so that would have made my brother four. So he was, she looks up, and he's gone. And mom, as any good mom would do, kind of panics a little and go, you know, and she's kind of looking and can't find him. And we're close to the door into the walk around area of the mall. And so she tells one of the employees and they shut the entire mall down, like lock the entire mall down looking for my little brother. Well, what had happened was my dad had walked by the door and my brother had seen him 
And my brother runs out to him and is with dad. So this whole time that my mom is scared that someone's kidnapped my little brother, he's really just with my dad, you know. But there's this great anxiety with mom because of separation, especially with kids. When you're with your kids and you get separated from your kids in certain environments, there that separation creates a huge, huge anxiety moment. And... I think as parents, I think every parent has had that split second moment where you've convinced yourself in the split second, I have lost my child and they're gone forever. Parents, would you agree that we've all we've all had that moment? Ours was in um ours was at the Warren County Fair back a few years back. Was it Vance? Vance saw um uh one of the food stands and like left like we and we look around and Vance is just gone and this real nice guy had found him and he was standing there looking at the caramel dipped apples like he just he wanted the caramel dipped apple but there for a minute or two we, we thought he was gone forever that anxiety of separation is is I mean there's there's no words for it other than just anxiety I want you to think about anxiety and separation because our passage this morning is about separation that's how Paul gets in to this text. That's how Paul gets into this idea. Now, I, we're going to do a little bit of background here, but I want us to catch up with where we are. So at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul, he's talking to all the Christians right there, and he goes, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So he starts chapter 2 with reminding us as Christians that there was a time where we were separated from Jesus, Right? And we're separated from Jesus because of whose actions? My own actions, right? My own actions, my own struggles, my own problems. They keep me from Jesus. And, and he goes through chapter 2, and he talks about how we've been saved by grace. We talked about that last week. Um, and then in verse 10, he says, For you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for you in advance for us to do. So he gives us this idea that not only are you saved, you're saved for a reason. You're saved for a purpose. And then as we get into our, our as we get into um, where we are in verse 11, he says, therefore. And to me, therefore means I said all of that so that I could say this. So he wants you to be in this mindset of you understand that there was a time you were separated from Jesus because of your own sin and your own issues. So everybody get to that place under, understanding for just a moment, all right? Now let's do a little bit of background here. How many of you know what this is supposed to be? What do you think this is supposed to be? The temple, right? This is an artist rendering of the, the the temple. And I don't know where this is. I've used these pictures for a decade now. But somebody had a lot of time on their hands, and they did a mini-scale model of what they felt the temple in Jerusalem through historical documents and different things would have looked like. And, and, I, and I would imagine that there's... Um, some accuracy here, and then there's some artist rendering as well, right? But this is, this is a representation of what the temple would have looked like in the day of Jesus, in the day of Paul, through the writings of the New Testament. And 
One of the things that I want you to think about for a second is within the temple itself. If we go back and we read uh, in the book of Exodus about the, uh, the law of Moses being given, we, we read that in the temple itself there are areas of separation, right? In the very back of the temple is the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. That is God's throne room on earth during that time. That's where God would come and dwell. The high priest and the high priest only was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement um, during the, that process of offering sacrifices for the people of Israel. <laughs> so there was separation there. That's a God separation, all right? That's a God separation. God put that there. God made that separation for a very specific purpose. Then you have the holy place inside the temple where the priests did their jobs. Now, you step out of the temple, and we see this in kind of both of the slides. There's these courtyards around the temple. So does this have a... Uh... So here's the temple. If you look right around in this area right here, okay, this is the men's courtyard. This is where Israelite Jewish men could gather together and, and talk about whatever they wanted to talk about, have conversation about whatever they wanted to talk about. It was called the... Uh, uh, the courtyard of the men. So outside of that, outside of that in this area is the courtyard of the women or the courtyard of Israel. And it is in this area where men and Jew Jewish men and Jewish women could come together and be close to God. But now the men got to go closer to God, right? They could go into the closest courtyard to the actual building, but then there's this next courtyard where, you know, the Israelite men and women could come. It was in this courtyard that Jesus has his trial, his kind of mock trial, all right? Um, now, if you look at both of our pictures, you see, you see these little walls right here. See, there's, they're, they're represented in that picture, and they're represented along the lines right through here, all right? So you got all this area out here. This is the area where Jesus would have overturned the tables and all of this during those particular stories. But it's also known as the courtyard of the Gentiles. So if you're not a Jew, if you're not uh, an Israelite, you're not allowed to come inside of those barriers. And if you do come inside of those barriers, you could be killed for that. So the people of God had created this environment where only certain people could get close to God. So God's presence is in the temple. Well, the Jewish men could get as close to it as the outside walls and not be a priest. And then they create this barrier. And then if you're a Jewish woman, you can get closer to God, but not as close as the men. And then we're going to create this other barrier that if you're not even an Israelite, we're going to limit how close you can get to the presence of God altogether. So at the beginning of chapter 2, we have this idea that we create separation from ourselves and God. But then as we get into this part of our passage, and Danny read some of it for us just a little bit ago, that if we're not careful, we create barriers between us and God, or rather God and other people. And he's really dealing with this Jew-Gentile concept in the church. The original readers are that concept, the Jew-Gentile concept of the Jews had always been God's people, and they're struggling with the Gentiles or the non-Jews coming in and being part of the process, being part of salvation, being part of God's family. And he's fixing to speak to that issue altogether. So let's look at our text. 
and let's talk about it together. So let's read our text as a whole, and then we'll break some things down. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and had destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have access to the Father by one spirit. All right, so let's begin to unpack some of this passage together. So he starts, and this is what Danny read for us. Therefore, remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth. Let's, let's put ourselves in that conversation for a minute. Unless you're Jewish this morning, you're a Gentile. Gentile simply means non-Jew. So all of us who are outside of that Jewish faith are Gentiles. And he's letting us know that there was a time as Gentiles, we did not have any connection to God. There was a barrier there. And... He describes it in these words. He says, remember that there was a time you were separated from Christ. Separated from Christ. You were, and I didn't underline, but excluded from citizenship and foreigners to the covenant of promise. So he he lists kind of three things here. Number one, there's there's a separation. You could only get so close to to Jesus. um, and, and, And that comes from from being a Gentile and also from your own personal sins. Then he said you're excluded from citizenship in Israel. The Israel people, they they are not now, but they were God's chosen people. It's not that God didn't love everybody else. It's that the Israelites were God's favorite kid. They were their favorite kid. And they got more blessings and more benefits, and they they had a better relationship with God because of that. They they were the they were the favorite, and you were excluded from that. He said, and then he says, not only that, you were foreigners to the covenant of promise. Foreigners to the covenant of promise. How many of you have ever left the United States and gone to a foreign country, or someone outside? That's a that's a different feeling, isn't it? It's a different feeling to not be in America. And it's not that uh, it's not that other countries aren't nice or good or won't protect us, but I mean when you walk into another country and 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 you're trying to figure out their the way they do things and their language and and everything that goes along with that it's, it's an uneasy feeling and he said you were foreigners to the covenant of promise. So you're foreigners to the concept of God. And because of that, and this is the thing that really would scare me, because of that, you were what? Without hope and without God. He said, you had no assurance. You had no comfort. You had no relationship. 
But why does that change? That changes because Christ Jesus came and shed his blood for us. So he's, he's, he's giving us this idea and concept that there are issues and there are problems and there are challenges with us coming to Jesus before Jesus, or coming to God before Jesus. But once Jesus comes, he says the doors of the house are wide open. Anybody and everybody was welcomed in. And that was a struggle. That was such a struggle. So he goes on and keeps talking, for he himself is our peace. And, and that's such an important word for this particular passage because the hostility that, I mean, there was just it, letting foreigners in your house that feel so different from you, that don't speak your language, that have different customs. It, he's saying, you're having a hard time coming together. He said the whole purpose of Jesus coming was to make the two groups one, right? Not, not a group and a subgroup, but to make you one family. And he said he's done that by destroying the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, imagine for a second, just put yourself in that place, that first century place, and, and understanding all the history that goes behind it. How encouraging would that had to have been for number one, for a Gentile, where he says, look, they may be having a hard time accepting you, but Jesus has come and torn down the wall. You don't have to be afraid of coming close to Jesus anymore. You don't have to be afraid of coming close to God anymore. And that message is still true for you and for me. We do not have to be afraid to come to Jesus. He's there. He's waiting on us. He's wanting us to come in and, and have this conversation, have this relationship, have this life with him. But I can't help but kind of get hung up on this idea here of, of dividing walls. Maybe not hung up. That's, that's not maybe the right word, but, but maybe paying it a little bit, bit of attention. Because the dividing wall was not, God's made, was not made by God. The dividing walls were made by who? By men. And sometimes it's easy in the church. Sometimes it's easy in the church for us to just be so comfortable with what we find as normal, what we find as regular, we find our traditions comfortable, that what we do, whether we realize it or not, is we create these walls between us and the lost. We create walls between us and the lost because we don't want anybody coming in and messing up what we've got. This is the place I feel comfortable. This is the place I come where I, where I, when I need uh, safety. This is the place I come when I feel like my world's crashing down. And I don't need anybody that I don't know. I don't need anybody that's different than me to come in here and mess that up. So whether we realize it or not, sometimes we can be guilty of doing the exact same thing that the Jewish Christians have done and create these walls that say, yeah, it's for everybody as long as you're like us. And the point of this passage is to say that's not, that's not how it is. It's not for everybody as long as they look, act, talk, believe like us, have lived like us. It's for everybody. Jesus is for everybody. But if we're not careful, we create these walls. Now, what can these walls look like? What can these walls look like? Sometimes I think we create Maybe personal walls. We try to, and, and, and not necessarily in a bad way, but we try to insulate ourselves, and, and we insulate ourselves so much that we really lose any interaction with people who do not have faith, people who do not have Jesus, that we insulate ourselves with our Christian family. We're, we're in a Christian bubble, 
And not that that's a bad thing to live life. We talk about it all the time, that we're supposed to be living life together. We're supposed to live in community with each other. We're supposed to be that for one another. But also, we're to go into all of the world and teach the gospel and baptize people. And we can't do that if we put up this personal wall of, I'm going to just stay away from sinners. We can't be that way. We, we, we cannot just... We cannot just alienate ourselves from people who are different than us. And Jesus is the greatest example of that. What is the one thing, the one, the one phrase that they use over and over to talk about how bad Jesus is? They try to insult him with this. He says, he eats with what? Sinners. And they said that as, look how awful of a person Jesus is. All he does is come in here and eats with sinners. And I look at those verses, one of my favorites in Luke 15, because that's my favorite text, is my response is, thank goodness. Because if Jesus didn't eat with sinners, I would never have a chance. I would never have any hope because I was once a sinner. He, he, tell, he tells us that at the beginning of the chapter. You were once in this lifestyle. And since Jesus ate with sinners, he wants to have a relationship with you too. And he pulls us and draws us out of that life. And then when we get in this Christian bubble, we have to be careful to not have this attitude of, well, I'm, I'm where I need to be. I'm not going to be in that anymore. I'm not going to be around that. And I'm not saying go and live it. But don't insulate yourself so much that you create a barrier, a dividing wall, that you're not effective in sharing the love of Jesus and the message of Jesus to other people. I think another thing that we do that, that maybe we don't mean to do, but, but we accidentally do, is we create institutional walls. Okay, institutional walls. We, we sometimes, not sometimes, I, I firmly believe we have church language, we have church language. There's a phrase in our church vernacular that seems so normal to us, but to someone who is unchurched seems foreign, and it's surrounding communion. If we get together during communion and someone prays, God, bless your body that we're about to eat and your blood that we're about to drink. If you've never been churched before, you've never been in it, there are people that are not part of this. They're going to be like, what are those people doing? Drinking blood? Like, I don't want to be a part of that. And, and, and so that's church language, right? That's church. It's biblical concept, but maybe we need to be mindful of that, that when we speak in this way, if we're not careful, it creates a wall. Maybe we need to do a better job of explaining that before we pray those things or teach and talk about those things in a way that there's explanation that goes along with it. There's other phrases that I mentioned from time to time, and I always want to, to describe them as we talked about them or talk about them, but it's when we talk about we've been sanctified. You know, that, that's a word that if you've been in church your whole life, you kind of get what that means, but if you've not been, then then you, you, you may need that explained to you a little bit. Uh, what's another one? Sanctification, justification. That's another word that I think of. Redeem. That's a word we're going to uh, look at here in just a few minutes, I believe, in this text. But we have to be careful to not put up institutional walls that make it harder for people to come to Jesus. Traditions do that. Traditions do that. Traditions, I believe, are an important part of any group of people. Because what traditions do is they create a family mentality. 
They create a family mentality. When you think about traditions, let me ask you, how many of you grew up? How many of you grew up in a situation where you had a tradition that at Thanksgiving, you always went to this person's house? This person always hosted Thanksgiving. For growing up, it was my mama Roger. She, she always hosted Thanksgiving for my mom's side of the family. At Christmas, we went to my dad's side of the family on Christmas Eve, and then on Christmas Day, we went to my mom's side of the family. That was tradition. That, that made you, if it, if it happened differently, it just felt weird, right? It just because it's not the way it's supposed to be. And then as you, uh, then as you get married, when I have uh, premarital counseling with, with couples, one of the things that I like to talk about in that dynamic is you have to begin to create your own traditions, things that are normal for you that, that you live in and you function in because it makes you feel connected and it makes you feel like you really are a family. And so traditions are not a bad thing. They create this situation where, where we feel like we belong, but we cannot let our traditions become walls And we cannot allow our traditions to keep other people from being able to access Jesus. And sometimes churches do that so that people can't get to Jesus. Not necessarily on purpose, but that ends up being the effect. So we have to be careful with that wall. And then maybe sadly, and something that we probably all struggled with, we have to be careful not to build walls up between each other. From Christian to Christian, carrying grudges. If you spend enough time with anybody you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. If you've been a part of this church for any length of time and your feelings have not been hurt, the only thing I can say is thank goodness and get ready because it will happen if you're here long enough. And then we'll work through it and we'll love each other through that process. It it happens. No matter how much love is in one place, you spend enough time with somebody, you're going to do something that offends them, that hurts their feelings, that makes them mad. And you're going to have to work through that. But what we do is we just kind of ignore it. And we begin to build up walls and build up walls and build up walls. One of the great passages from Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is teaching, and starting in verse 23, he says, if you're offering a gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, what does he say to do? Just offer your sacrifice? Is that what he says? He says, no. He says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. So that word reconcile is so important to that text because it takes you back to the law itself. And and we don't spend a whole lot of time reading uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy because it's a bunch of law and it's sometimes boring, we think, because we think this doesn't apply to us. But in that particular story of Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there is the process of forgiveness. There's the process of forgiveness under the law. So if I do something to you and I'm seeking your forgiveness, it's not just go make a sacrifice and be done. We've made the old law that you just go make your sacrifice and you're done. No, there is a process of reconciliation, of making things right. We talked about this in our Ruth study. Reconciliation is actually, I love you too much to leave things the way they are. I want to make them better. And that's exactly what it's about. If I have harmed you or hurt you or stolen something from you, I'm supposed, before I ever go and make a sacrifice to get forgiveness from God, I have to make things right with you. And not just make them right. The law said make them better. If I stole something from you, I'll repay you for that and then more. That's the cool part of the story of Zacchaeus. 
He says, if I've taken from you, not only do I give back, but I give back more. He's practicing the law. He's practicing reconciliation. He's doing exactly what he has to do before he goes and gets forgiveness from God himself. He's making sure everything's taken care of. So what he's saying here is if you get to that point and you're at the altar and you realize that I've not done all of these things, he says, you go back and you work those things out. Then you come back and you ask forgiveness from God. And that's something we've got to practice in the church. That's how we tear walls down between each other. That when there's issues, when there's problems, when there's challenges, we come to each other and we reconcile those things. And that's so important because we're living in an environment and in a culture right now where everything's polarized. You turn on the news and it's polarized, isn't it? The president can get up and say, good morning, America, I love you. And this news channel polarizes it in one direction. This news channel polarizes it in one direction. This news channel polarizes it in one direction. And it gets everybody worked up and everybody, can you believe the president said, I love you this morning? That shouldn't be on the, man, this president's the most loving president I've ever seen. And then they go, hey, if they, if he, they don't agree that the president should love people, you don't love them. You know? And so that's, that's the world we're living in right now, right? Everything is polarized. And the reason things are polarized is because people have quit talking to each other. They've quit reconciling their issues and their differences. That's the world. And then if someone from the world walks into our church and they look at us and they see us with walls up between each other, they see us not reconciled, they see us just living just like everybody else in the world outside of this building, they're going to look at us and go, they're no different. They're no different, and I, there's, there's no reason for me to be there. But if they walk in this room and they see a loving family that works through their differences, that works through their issues, that reconciles with one another, they'll stay because people in our world are looking for places to be loved. And this is supposed to be the most loving place on the face of the planet. We tear down walls. We don't build them. And so let's not be guilty of that. Let's not be guilty of that. Let's keep going. This, this wraps it up. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He says, look, Jesus' reconciliation act to, to bring our relationship better was to die on the cross. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. This is my favorite. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. What spirit is that? The Holy Spirit. That through Jesus, we talked about it at the very beginning of this study, through our baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit. All of us, we all receive the Holy Spirit when we become a child of God through baptism, right? We all receive it. And that spirit does what? It gives us access to God. It gives us a connection to God. It gives us a way to pick up the phone and talk to God. It gives us a personal relationship with God himself. And that's something that we all need. But that's also something that only comes through making that commitment to him of salvation. And that salvation commitment is made, as Acts 2.38 tells us, by, by repenting of our sins and being baptized. And it's in that moment that we get forgiveness and the Holy Spirit so that we can have access to the Father, all of us, 
as one fa- as one family, as one body. What walls exist in your life? I think that's a question that we have to contemplate from time to time. What walls exist in your life? Because they are there. There may be walls between you and your children. Maybe you and your spouse, you and your family. There may be walls between you and your friends. Walls between you and other Christians. I think it's so important for us to look at those, think about those, pray about those, and then ask ourselves the question, are those walls there because I put them there? Have I had a part in laying the foundation and building this wall? And if the answer is yes, then guess whose responsibility is to start tearing the wall down? It's yours. Then you ask yourself the question, am I responsible for this? And if the answer is no, okay then guess whose responsibility is to start tearing the wall down? Still yours. Because Scripture says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. And if there is no peace, then what can you do to bring peace? Peace is not the absence of conflict. Walls keep conflict away from each other, right? From people. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Maybe the way that you live at peace with someone, even though you didn't build the wall, is you start tearing it down. Don't be guilty of creating barriers between God and other people. Don't take part in that in your own life. Be someone that is a peaceful person, a a reconciling person, a redemption person, and share the love of Jesus everywhere you go. Let's close with a word of prayer, then the lesson will be yours. God, we thank you for the chance to be together today. We thank you for the opportunity to study this passage, to be encouraged by the words of Paul, to be challenged by... Uh, the thoughts of the Holy Spirit this morning, God. We pray that His Spirit has moved within us and convicted us in whatever way it needs to. Help us to live a closer walk with you as we leave this place today. Help us to tear the walls down in our life, God. Help us to never build them, to just be willing to have conversation with people and to work things out as they come in our life. Forgive us when we fail you, God. We know we do often. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. Lift us to the joy divine. Instagram. Mortals join the mighty chorus. And Twitter. Morning stars began. For the love. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember to love like Jesus.